Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. One of the most critical issues that people are going to see developing over the next little while is the compilation of, by companies, the compilation of their financial statements and the audit of those in the lodgement with the corporate regulator. Now, there are some things that people will need to do in this pandemic period in order to tell the story about what their entity has done, whether it's a not-for-profit or a a for-profit entity like a listed company during the COVID period. There will be write-downs, there will be valuation issues, there will be disclosure issues. What is the regulator, the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, advising companies and how is ASIC going to be dealing with it from a regulatory standpoint? That's a good question to be asking my guest today. He's Doug Nibbon. He's the Senior Executive Leader in the Accounting and Auditing Area of ASIC, and he'll be illuminating some of those areas for us. Doug, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Now, we did, before we launch into some specifics, what are, what are some of the areas that ASIC has made adjustments to in the Corporations Act um, for for directors and companies in terms of compliance? Okay, uh, so uh, the main area where we have made adjustments is in relation to the timing of uh, financial reporting. So we have given an, up to an additional month for both listed and unlisted entities to complete their financial reports and lodge them with ASIC. Um, that relief runs through to uh, balance dates up to the 7th of July 2020, so certainly including 30 June 2020. Um, I should uh, just say that doesn't extend to registered foreign companies, but does uh, extend to other entities reporting under the Corporations Act. You also do need to be mindful that uh, there are some timing requirements under the ASX listing rules uh, for ASX listed companies as well around uh, preliminary finals and and other matters as well. So uh, you just need to be mindful of uh, continuing to meet uh, those specific requirements. There is some uh, relief from the ASX to match the relief that we've given, but uh, not entirely. Um, I should also say that we have uh, given uh, a no-action basis additional time uh, to hold an AGM. Uh, that also runs through to the 7th of July balance date, so instead of uh, five months, uh, seven months. Now, I think the thing to bear in mind is that it's important that information is provided on a timely basis to the market. And so um, companies need to get it right, of course, as far as they can, uh, given current uncertainties. But they also need to ensure uh, that they do report on a timely basis so that investors, creditors and other users of the financial report uh, can be properly informed and make uh, decisions. So uh, we don't expect companies to take the additional time. Um, unless they need to. Certainly at the larger end of the market, um, most companies, we understand, the vast majority will continue to report on their normal timetables. The idea of this extension of time is to give companies um, an opportunity to deal with um, remote work arrangements, although some of that may uh, be disappearing over time. But also we recognise that there can be more difficult judgments around things like asset values, solvency, going concern, and the like. And so 
making sure that there's uh, sufficient time where necessary to address those sorts of issues, um, particularly at you know, the smaller end of the market, there could be cases where uh, that becomes necessary, but certainly to remember to report in time where you can. I guess the uh, other thing is um, AGMs, uh, we originally gave a no action situation so that they could be held uh, on a virtual basis. Um, that's now covered by a determination uh, by the Treasurer under a power that uh, he has for six months. Uh, that does run out in November. Um, so uh, we'll have to see what happens after that time in terms of holding uh, virtual meetings rather than face-to-face -face general meetings. The other thing I wouldn't mind just uh, briefly covering is around the accounting standards and the auditing standards. Um, they are fit for purpose under the current uh, arrangements. And so uh, we haven't seen that there's been a demand or a need to give relief from those standards. Uh, there certainly has been some uh, discussion around you know, particular aspects internationally. Uh, for example, the new financial instrument standard, there's been a lot of discussion around how you apply it for you know, doubtful debts for receivables and you know, expected credit loss also for, uh, for example, bank loan loss provisioning. But the ISB has been clear that you don't follow a mechanical approach. Um, some of the past models in history may not be relevant in the current environment. And so uh, you need to apply a more flexible approach, which is possible under standard. It has rebuttable presumptions and so forth, and come up with uh, common sense answers around that. So um, we are aware of some modifications in relation to financial instruments in the US. Uh, the ISB has also made some uh, changes to standards around uh, rent holidays. So uh, the standards uh, are capable of dealing with these situations, but really it was the additional time uh, where our focus has been. Okay, now Doug, there's a couple of uh, couple of issues here that we might be worthwhile just amplifying for for listeners that are unaware of the way the Corporations Act works. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that there are registered foreign companies that are not exempt from uh, the uh, regulatory uh, relief, if you like, that they're not being given an exemption. Um, can you explain what a registered com foreign company is in, in this in the Australian context? Okay, so that's a company that is uh, formed outside Australia. It could be uh, any country of the world. It could be the US, New Zealand, UK, wherever. And those uh, companies which are carrying on business in Australia. There is a definition uh, attached to that. And as a consequence of carrying on business, they're required to be registered in Australia, have a registered uh, office and a, a, a yeah, representative in Australia. And there are financial reporting requirements as well. And the starting presumption for those financial reporting requirements is to lodge the financial report prepared in accordance with law in place of origin, um, unless ASIC uh, determines that that's uh, not uh, fit for purpose and appropriate, or if the company itself doesn't actually prepare a financial report under law in place of origin, in which case they have to prepare Australian-style financial reports. Now, the reason we didn't give an extension of time for those companies is that they have much more flexible uh, timing arrangements for lodgement of financial reports under the Corporations Act. You know, once every calendar year, and uh, at you know, intervals uh, that are quite flexible. So they already have the ability to um, 
alter the timing of their own requirements. Now, of course, I should say um, we've given a month for other entities. Uh, we haven't given time for the registered foreign companies. It is always possible for us to consider specific cases on a case-by-case -case basis, um, but obviously our feeling is and the feedback that we've received uh, from companies and the markets are that uh, one month is more than an appropriate period um, for most entities uh, and as I say um, a large number of entities won't avail themselves of that additional month uh, in any event. I am conscious that uh, the extension in some other countries, um, some cases it's case by case, uh, in some countries that was for example the US case by case 45 days, um, in other countries it might be 60 days um, but we felt that uh, 30 days was uh, the right uh, or one month I should say is the right figure for uh, our company. So uh, just to clarify that. Okay. Now we've got uh, we've got clarity around that topic, which I think is always interesting when we're dealing with different companies, whether they're proprietary companies, large or small, whether they're uh, proprietary companies being private. For those listeners who uh, are not uh, familiar with the Corporations Act definitions. Uh, you know, public companies listed or uh, companies that are limited by guarantee. All those, all those entities have some kind of reporting obligation. Um, not all of them are required to lodge and have their accounts audited or made public through the ASX. Um, what we're going to see in the next little while are some issues becoming more important in the accounts that people do see, Doug. What are the core issues that you'll be looking at from a regulatory standpoint? So uh, the issues that we're focusing on and we're asking uh, directors, management and auditors also to focus on are quite, um, in a sense, uh, flowing very obviously from the current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic and its uh, implications. And so uh, we've already issued the focus areas in uh, some frequently asked questions which are available on our website and we will be issuing a media release shortly uh, with a little bit more detail on those matters as well. So we're focused on um, and asking directors, management orders to focus on the values of assets and that's a broad range of assets, you know, tangibles, property, receivables, um, deferred tax assets and so on. The recognition of liabilities um, including provisions for onerous contracts, financial guarantees, provisions for restructuring, whether it's uh, appropriate. But we also um, are very much uh, focusing on uh, the provisions around insolvent trading and uh, the requirement for every entity reporting under Chapter 2 of the Corporations Act, those companies, registered schemes, disclosing entities, to have a solvency statement in their director's declaration. So um, are they uh, able to pay debts, or is the company able to pay its debts as and when they fall due? Are there reasonable grants to reach that conclusion? And secondly, uh, going concern assessments, which is a little bit different. Solvency is ability to pay your debts as they fall due, including new debts that arise. Going concern is about will you be uh, continuing without significant uh, curtailing of the business going out at least 12 months from the date of signing the financial report. Now, in the current environment, subsequent events can also be important. 
but it's going to be the case that, of course, there are a greater range of uncertainties at the moment. Um, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with particular industries? Um, how will government support measures be unwound? What's happening with supply chains, uh, customer uh, habits, um, perhaps travel restrictions, um, ability to refinance, um, what happens if debt governance are breached, um, how long will loan repayment and uh, rental uh, holidays um, continue. So it's a whole broad range of assumptions which will vary from company to company and industry to industry. We recognise that it may actually be that entities, for example, even the same industry, might come up with some different assumptions. Those assumptions will, of course, narrow over time. But in recognition of that and some other factors, disclosure is going to be so important this time around and telling the story of what's happening with the business. So there are disclosures that need to be made in the body of the financial port itself. So notice the financial statements, for example, around sources of estimation uncertainty. What are the key assumptions that the company made? Uh, for example, the assumptions going into the termination of those asset values we were talking about before. And all of this should be very specific to the circumstances of the company, uh, the assets, perhaps going concern assessment for the company. And um, that's incredibly important when you think about it from a user perspective, whether it's investors or creditors or other users of financial report who need to be able to compare financial reports, understand the different assumptions that have been made. In some cases, they may wish to overlay their own assumptions. Now, there will be an interesting balancing act to reach because you need to give all of the important information, but in a way that's meaningful and understandable. Now, in the financial report, there's also sensitivity analysis around some of those assumptions and perhaps scenario analysis as well. Then, in addition, for listed companies, there's another document that accompanies the financial report called the Operating and Financial Review. For unlisted companies, it's called the Review of Operations. And those documents complement the financial report by filling out the story. What are the underlying drivers of the results and the financial performance? What are the company's business strategies, including the strategies um, to address uh, the current circumstances? So... Uh, it might be uh, we're a restaurant and during the close down we sold takeaway food, whatever it may be. Um, but it's important that that's uh, well disclosed and that also it's separated from other causes. Um, so you've got your what's happening with the results, the business strategies, what are the risks going forward and what are the future prospects. Now, they're all required under legislation. For future prospects, it doesn't necessarily mean financial forecast. Um, companies aren't prevented from providing them, but it's more a narrative, a description uh, that uh, we're focusing on in terms of where the company is going. That's all part of telling the story in a meaningful way so that, as I say, users of the financial report can really understand what is happening to the company. Um, and that's so important in the current circumstances. When you think about it, um, users of the financial report expect transparency, they expect to see the story, they expect to see uh, meaningful information, they also would expect to see a separation between what's caused by the pandemic, what are other causes, so 
you know, perhaps changes in the market that were already occurring for the company's products. And that that's all explained in a, in a meaningful way. If they don't receive that information and there isn't transparency, then um, it's reasonable to assume that um, those users of the financial report will act accordingly. And that may mean, for example, for listed companies, um, yeah, the price may uh, drop as a result of uh, a lack of confidence in the information that's being provided. So disclosure is going to be so important at the moment. Um, you know, it's not reasonable to expect that investors or creditors or uh, suppliers, whoever it may be, um, will know everything that's happening with the company in the same way that directors and the management of the company uh, will understand the business and, of course, the strategies going forward and how they're addressing the various risks that are occurring. Now, in that regard, we are interested in disclosures for companies that are adversely affected. Um, but also, it's disclosures for companies that perhaps are sometimes adversely affected for certain business that positively affected, but in addition, for companies that actually have positive effects from the result of um, the current circumstances. So that's important when you think about it because it might be they were selling goods, perhaps that were, uh, or manufacturing goods that were stockpiled, well, what happens when those stockpiles are run down in future reporting periods? Um, there are other circumstances where perhaps um, you need to recognise a liability and that may offset uh, you know, the effect of those good results because you've got uh, an additional expense, for example. So um, we are asking uh, companies to really think about this and uh, tell a story to the market uh, in a meaningful way. Um, and we might also touch on um, some potentially misleading ways, um, if you're interested, Tom, in the presentation of information that people need to be careful of and, and mindful about as well. I was going to go there because there is a, there is a little graphic going around the internet at the current time. It features a mug, and that mug has on it EBITDAC, earnings before income tax, depreciation and coronavirus. Uh, it seems to suggest to me um, that there are people who are trying to strip out coronavirus impacts and try and normalise some kind of a, a performance figure uh, in their general market communication. Uh, is that something that you're concerned about at ASIC? It definitely is. So um, we have guidance about... Uh, the Operating and Financial Review, which we talked about before, which is better, more meaningful information for uh, users of financial reports, particularly investors in the uh, case of listed companies. But we also have another guide, which is about the use of what we call non-IFRS financial information. So these are things like alternative profit measures. And we are concerned about those. Um, they can, in some cases, provide... Uh, additional explanation and meaningful information to the market. But in other cases, we are concerned that they might be used in a way that's potentially misleading. So uh, we do have a guide around that uh, for the technical reminders, Regulatory Guide 230. But um, I prefer not to comment on the circumstances of obviously individual companies, but it is important to think about how information can be presented. So some of the things that have been talked about are trying to present a result which is pre 
the effects of uh, the coronavirus. And that is a problematic thing to do because, well, what would have been your revenue? Would your sales have increased or would they have stayed the same had it not been for the effect of the virus? Um, what is the impact on the overall profit, the expenses and so forth? And our concern is that that information would be hypothetical. And so it is um, important to um, present information that's not potentially misleading and that may not be a true representation of what the result was uh, either during the period or for that matter necessarily an indication of what might be the new norm for the company. Uh, other practices are um, potentially trying to split the result between pre-COVID part of the financial year and post-COVID part. So let's say 30 June, I don't know when the dividing line is, and that's one of the challenges actually, where is the dividing line for a company? Because you know certain impacts um, may occur at different rates. You know, you're a, a retailer, um, you close your stores, but you go to online retailing, uh, you open up a couple of stores and you open up some more stores. Um, yeah, it's not a linear sort of situation. Um, when did COVID-19 actually impact on your company? It started at a particular point in time, but you know, the impact may have increased over time with you know, different restrictions and so forth, and then of course government support measures. So to try and split is an interesting problem in that is you have you got the dividing line right, but is the pre-period actually representative of new norm? Can you really ignore the post-COVID period? Because again, it could be reflective of other impacts on the business, changes in the business model that might have occurred anyway. So um, we are quite concerned about how that information can be presented and uh, we don't want to see it in the financial ports. There's some more around that. Um, but certainly, we do want people to explain to investors, yes, we had COVID-19. This is a story. This is how our sales were impacted at this point in time. Um, this is when we opened the stores or whatever it may be or launched a new product or um, how we approached it. And that's uh, incredibly important to use as a financial ports. But again, make sure it's not done in a way that's potentially misleading. You know, um, are particular effects, can they be described as being non-recurring? Or in fact, um, they might occur because the virus is going to cross over a balance state and the impacts. Um, you know, impairment calculations, are your impairment losses all the result of COVID-19 or are there other uh, it, you know, causes that need to be disclosed? So... Um, it's a really good question, and uh, the main thing is um, disclose, tell a story, but do it in a clear and meaningful way that uh, is not potentially misleading. And I yeah, wouldn't want to suggest that um, in all cases people are uh, trying to be intentionally misleading. You just need to be cautious because um, you could present information in a way um, not realising it's misleading because you know what you're trying to achieve, but not necessarily everyone else knows and they may not have uh, all of the story uh, that you should really be uh, presenting. So it's very much a case of putting your uh, head in the mind of uh, an investor or creditor and thinking about what they would need to know and understand around uh, the company's financial position, performance and, and so on. Now, the big, the big question here is, well, what will the regulator do if it finds there are issues 
in financial statements that are out there in the public domain. One of the one of the concerns people might have in listening to various things being spoken about, Doug, is that there might be some made-up numbers sitting there. So what can ASIC do in those situations? Yeah. So um, I guess there's a couple of elements to this. One is, um, firstly, we'll be concerned to make sure the market is properly informed as a starting point. But we have also, uh, at the time of the Financial Services Royal Commission, but not restricted to financial services by any means, um, adopted a why not litigate approach in relation to um, all areas of uh, our regulatory activities. And so, uh, well, education is part of what we do, surveillance, compliance, um, enforcement is uh, still an important element. And it doesn't mean that we always take enforcement action, but we will think about whether that uh, is an appropriate remedy. Now, we do recognise, as I mentioned before, there can be a broader range of judgments. Um, I think it's also important um, that companies still have a reasonable basis for what they're actually presenting. Uh, reasonable and supportable assumptions. And so they should be uh, realistic. Um, they shouldn't be overly optimistic. They shouldn't be overly pessimistic either. They might need to probably weight some scenarios in some of the work that they do around uh, asset values and provisioning and so forth. But it is um, also the case that um, disclosure is going to deal with some of this um, by making it clear to the market those things we were talking about before, assumptions and uh, estimation uncertainty. And in addition, um, always need to be mindful of hindsight. And so um, it's going to be important to document why you made decisions, why you made the disclosures you did, what the circumstances were. So if someone else is coming in afterwards and it it might be ASIC, but it might be someone else, um, you know, uh, in the unfortunate situation where perhaps there's litigation or whatever. Um, you don't want hindsight applied, so very important to say, well, this is where we were at the time. These are the circumstances. This is why we made these judgments, and um, that will, will obviously assist. But you do need to uh, think carefully about uh, deriving the best information for the market um, meaningful and useful information and as I say disclosure will be important. We will continue to be uh, conducting as we have in the past our proactive and reactive surveillances on financial reports as, as well as audits by the way and uh, as a part of that we look at um, proactively the financial reports of about uh, 300 uh, listed companies and other public interest entities uh, every year on a risk-based uh, targeted uh, basis um, and you can understand that would have some correlation to the focus areas that we've talked about. But we also do look at uh, financial ports on what's called a reactive basis, where we don't select them on the basis of those uh, sort of risk criteria, but rather um, where there's uh, complaints, um, yeah, it might be a media article, uh, other intelligence of uh, various types, and we have a look at financial reports on, on that basis. Um, yeah, it can also uh, go to corporate collapses, although um, I would have to say not all corporate collapses by any means um, mean that there was a failure in financial reporting or audit. Um, if the financial report is uh, showing um, you know, declining financial position and performance, um, I mean, obviously subject to 
requirements around uh, insolvent trading, and that is a little bit complicated uh, at the moment. But um, you know, companies are, are are doing the right thing. Um, yeah, we know there are businesses that um, are set up, which um, maybe you know, venture capital or you know, um, small cap miners, uh, whose business models um, aren't always uh, leading to uh, successful outcomes as well. But um, keeping the market informed, disclosure. And by the way, if anything changes, you know, the assumptions that were made in the financial report, whatever it is, um, in Australia for listed entities and um, what are called disclosing entities, um, there are continuous disclosure requirements. And so if something changes that could have a material effect, for example, on a listed company's share price, it's not generally known to the market, then that should be disclosed. And that's an important way to make sure that the investors stay up to date, but also it acts as a protection um, for directors in ensuring that uh, the market is fully informed about what has changed. You had a reasonable basis in the first place and you're keeping the market up to date with with those sorts of changes. Okay, Doug, I think it, you've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground and in essence, well, I could sum it up, is that while there are some exemptions or some relief for procedural matters, there are no exemptions from companies uh, being required to be upfront and talk straight about the impact of COVID-19 during this particular financial reporting period. If people want to know more about the uh, ASIC position on issues, where can they go? Well, one of the places uh, that well explains uh, some of the questions that have been raised in relation to the impact of uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic on financial reporting and audit uh, there are frequently asked questions, a series of 21, in fact, frequently asked questions on a website that cover our financial reporting focuses, disclosure matters, um, insolvent trading. Uh, they also cover audit aspects. Um, there's just a range of matters that are covered. Um, they, they are on our website. Um, an easy way to find them is in your favourite search engine to type in uh, FAQ, uh, ASIC, COVID-19, and uh, it should be the first or, or second hit. So... Um, definitely look at those. As I said, we will shortly be uh, issuing our uh, financial reporting uh, surveillance focuses. We've also put out media releases and information, which is also available, of course, on our website around uh, the extension of time uh, that I talked about earlier. And uh, there's various guides uh, around the use of alternative profit measures, the operating financial review, um, directors' uh, responsibilities for financial reporting, um, I could go on, Tom, but um, uh, a good source of information is our website. It's also um, relevant to mention that the uh, standard setters, uh, uh, the accounting, Australian Accounting Standards Board, the Auditing Insurance Standards Board have uh, issued some uh, frequently asked questions uh, that, that may be relevant as well and, and a guide on uh, uh, ongoing concern. So um, uh, particularly auditors may wish to look at the... Uh, Audit Board's website um, and uh, perhaps uh, you know, companies and directors may be interested in uh, that, that going concern guide as well. Okay, okay Doug, that's, uh, that seems to be a, a rather a, a neat place to, to tie, the chat, uh, tie the chat up and, and, 
and close proceedings for today. Thank you for joining me today and telling the audience all about what ASIC's position is in relation to financial reporting and audit matters in the coming you know, financial reporting season. Thank you, Tom. And thanks for that. And uh, thank you uh, out there in the audience for listening. And we'll be back again soon with another podcast.